0: This is the Washington Indivisible podcast. I'm your host, Stephan Cox. So just a few weeks ago, the president signed into law a bill addressing the nationwide baby formula shortage. The bill originated in the House, where it was led in part by first CD Congresswoman Susan DelBene, who joins us now to discuss it. Congresswoman, hello, it's always a pleasure. How are you?
1: I'm doing well, how are you doing?
0: I'm doing great, and I would imagine that the mood mood among Democrats is pretty buoyant right now, and so before we get to your bill, I would love to get your thoughts on the passage of the Inflation Reduction Act just passed the Senate over the weekend. Uh, This bill is historic, I think it's fair to say. It addresses climate change, prescription drug costs, so much more. Uh, The bill is now going uh, going, uh, back to you in the House. What are your thoughts generally about this bill?
1: Well, I was going to say what you just said, which is that it's historic um, because it is. It's going to lower prices for families. It makes really critical investments in our climate future, um, helps reduce the deficit. Um, This has been a long road. That's kind of what legislating is like, Mm. um, where you have ups and downs and uh, challenges along the way. But um, so many incredibly important parts of this bill. you know, I'm the chair of the New Dem coalition from the very beginning. We've been pushing to make sure we extend the Affordable Care Act premium subsidies that have uh, helped in you know, 60,000 people in Washington state um, get coverage because of these subsidies and keep prices down for families. That's critically important. Addressing um, Medicare's ability to negotiate the price of prescription drugs and putting a cap on costs for seniors, uh, that's hugely important. Um, And the investment in climate, we see it happening every place across the country around the world. Um, And so it these are all critical and deficit reduction um, adding in there, too. So all this is so, so important, really is historic and really important investments for our country. So I'm excited. We'll be heading back to D.C. to, to pass that bill this week.
0: Well, I want to thank you. And I think everybody would like to thank you for your persistence on all of this. As you say, these things take a long time. uh, So it's just very gratifying to see it get over the finish line. I would just ask you, we have, as I'm sure you are aware, a lot of people in the audience who are out on the doors right now talking to voters. I wonder, how do you think we communicate to voters that Democrats are actually the ones who are getting things done, who are delivering for the American people right now?
1: Well, I think it really is about telling people what we've actually done, Um, investment in our climate future and addressing uh, the preparing us for the future, as well as uh, moving us towards clean renewable energy, the investments that we've made in infrastructure um, that have an impact throughout our region from roads and bridges to culverts, to broadband, to water systems, um, the investments that we've made in our communities to help through the COVID crisis. Um, I think every community has a story The support for support that was there for small businesses, helping get vaccines out um, to people, helping our healthcare workers, um, helping get our schools to reopen. There's just been, so much that we've, um, we've been working on continue um, also recently investments in um, helping in competitiveness and, and helping us uh, to have domestic capacity when it comes to things like semiconductor uh, production, just there's a very, very long list. And I think it's important to remind people of that long list, um, different things may resonate more with different people, but I think there's something that um, everyone can understand and relate to.
0: It is quite an extraordinary list. Uh, I dare say it is uh, up there with any first term of any president in terms of achievements. Really, just extraordinary, actually. And I, I think I'm not sure if you mentioned this, but gun safety legislation was also gun part safety of that. legislation. No, no, no. Exactly. So, uh, really, really quite impressive. So, I do want to shift over and talk about your baby formula tariff bill. So, first and foremost, if you can give us a sense why have we been facing a shortage in baby formula. What are the factors here?
1: Well, I think there really been two kind of simple uh, things that have had a dramatic impact. One, we've seen corporate consolidation in the production of baby formula in the United States. So there was a great dependency in particular on one factory in the United States. Um, we also have the supply chain issues that we've been seeing around the country as a result of COVID. So when we saw the plant close in Michigan and Abbott plant um, back in February, um, that's when we saw really broad supply chain shortages of formula because we had so much dependency on one factory. Um, and so uh, the out-of-stock rates started going up they were 31% in April, 45% in mid-May, and then 74% at the end of May. And 10 states, of which Washington state is one, saw out-of-stock rates that were higher than 90%. So, um, And then when they tried to reopen the plant in Michigan after we saw the shortages, uh, they had flooding from severe storms that impacted their ability to reopen and that um, had an ongoing impact on shortages. So. It really speaks to how important it is that we have resilient, redundant supply chains for so many things. Um, baby formula being such a critical product to the welfare of for, um, babies and, and then to help their families across the country. Mm-hmm. Um, we shouldn't be so dependent on a single source. And um, I think that highlights some of the issues we have to address as we move forward looking at supply chain in many areas.
0: Yeah, I mean, it's hard to overstate the importance of this. It's just so fundamental to human life. And as you mentioned, uh, we've definitely seen, I think everybody who's been to a store recently has seen these empty shelves here. Talk a little bit about how your bill tackles this problem.
1: So um, the the FDA has allowed for the importation of formula um, to help address the, uh, the supply chain shortages that we've seen in the U.S., um, but If we don't have a trade agreement, a free trade agreement with a particular country, there are tariffs um, on the baby formula that's imported, and those tariffs can be over 25%, and that means making that formula very expensive for families, so um, I'm on the Ways and Means Committee. Um, this is an area that we cover in terms of issues on trade. And so I introduced legislation to remove those tariffs to say, we, this is important that we need this. Um, we wanna make sure not only that we get more formula in the US but that it's affordable for families. And so um, it was really a very straightforward piece of legislation to remove those tariffs through the end of the year so that we could import that formula and make it affordable for families um, to help Address the shortages and hopefully give domestic capacity a chance to catch back up.
0: I know that these things take some time once set into motion, but as I mentioned, this law was signed into uh, this bill was signed into law a few weeks ago. Can you give us a sense of any impact of this bill thus far?
1: Um, well, you know, where all of this takes a little bit of time. The good news is that the efforts are helping. Um, recent data shows that powdered formula is now down to a 30% out of stock rate, um, which is the lowest rate we've seen in months. Um, By removing the tariffs, um, parents can see that savings of 25% on the imported formula that's been coming in. So, Clearly, we want to address this issue for the long term, which means looking at domestic capacity and making sure we're not dependent, for example, on a a single factory for formula here. So we also have long term efforts to make sure that we have a resilient supply chain long into the future.
0: This show has special reach into your district, uh, up your way. And so I do want to ask about some funding that you secured for the Center of Inclusive Entrepreneurship. This is in Skagit and Snohomish counties. Very cool. Tell us about this and what the funding will go toward.
1: Well, this current fiscal year um, was the first time in over a decade that members of Congress were able to advocate for spending on specific community projects in their districts. And um, we received many submissions um, from folks across our district, um, from state, local, tribal governments, as well as eligible nonprofits. And we submitted 10 projects. And one of those 10 projects was the Center for Inclusive Entrepreneurship. Um, The the $180,000 we got for them means they'll be able to expand their services in rural Snohomish, Skagit, and island counties. They provide technical assistance, business classes, one-on-one training for um, small businesses and aspiring entrepreneurs in disadvantaged communities. And it really helps on-ramp these entrepreneurs to not only start their small businesses, but to help them grow. Um, they, they're they in their Port Angeles location. They have a, about 230 entrepreneurs in the program and um, 45 entrepreneurs either started a business, expanded operations or accessed capital um, so we know we've got a lot of people with a great, a lot of great ideas, but sometimes just the, the logistics of how do I put together a business plan? How do I find um, uh, the resources I need to open a business? How do I deal with um, some of the, the uh, issues in terms of obtaining particular licenses, whatever it might be that you might need for a particular business? All of those have been so helpful to, um, to help these communities. So these resources help expand the program Um, The project's supported by by our state agencies that have helped, um, county agencies that have helped in business development. Um, And so I recently got a chance to talk to some of the new entrepreneurs um, and see their ideas uh, taking shape and their ability to start um, their businesses. So incredibly important and um, just a great opportunity to see and exciting to see some of the ideas that folks have.
0: Yeah, that must be really the exciting part is to actually see those dollars at work. Uh, Very, very cool. Before I let you go, very briefly, I do wanna ask you about the recent trip that you took with Speaker Pelosi to Taiwan. Certainly we know the importance of standing up to authoritarianism right now, but I'm sure that you are also well aware of concerns that people have about escalating tensions with China. So I'll just ask you, why did you choose to go and do you feel that it was worth the risk?
1: Well, um, this was part of a broader delegation trip that I took um, with Speaker Pelosi last week. We went to Singapore, Malaysia, South Korea, and Japan, as well as Taiwan. Um, and this is a trip actually that we had planned for a while, um, got delayed because um, the speaker um, had COVID and so um, got delayed a, a little bit further before we were able to go. But um, not only is this an incredibly important issue, um, the our engagement, with partners throughout the Indo-Pacific. It's incredibly important for Washington state. We are Asia facing, um, many of our jobs are tied to trade and in particular, tied to trade in the the Indo-Pacific region. And um, I serve on the Ways and Means Committee, I'm vice chair of the Ways and Means Committee. And so um, I kind of went as the person to discuss issues regarding uh, trade and economic opportunities with, uh, with, our, with all of these countries, and um, you know, trade is also part of not only economic opportunity um, and prosperity for all these countries and for uh, the U.S. as well. It's also part of uh, our security efforts to make sure we have strong relationships. Um, and so, this was about continuing to build on the relationships that we already have. Um, and I think it's important that we continue to have that opportunity to. Have those partnerships? I, the speaker was pretty clear that um, um, we shouldn't have uh, someone in China telling us where we can travel. Uh, these are relationships that we've in an engagement that we've had. This wasn't about changing the status quo. It was about continuing to maintain the relationships throughout this region. And um, and we had a great trip.
0: We are running very short on time, uh, and everything that we have discussed, you and I here today, I have so many follow-up questions, but I, I would love to save those, actually. We would love to have you back for a town hall to talk to Washington Indivisibles before the election, if you would be able to join us.
1: Okay, I'll uh, absolutely um, let my staff figure out how to, how to, time to set that up, but I'd be happy to.
0: I just dropped that on you, Nick, I apologize. <laughs> <laughs> but it, it, it is always just such a pleasure to speak with you. Congresswoman Susan nobody. thank you so much for your time.
1: Thank you, take care.
0: And that'll do it for this week. The executive producer of the show is Kat Pipkin. If you would like to see a video version of this podcast, head to facebook.com slash indivisible podcast. The email address for the show is indivisiblepodcast at gmail.com. Special thanks to Lori Cowell, And as always, my thanks to you for listening. I'm Stephen Cox, and we'll talk to you next time. Bye.